All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Saturday, a very special Saturday edition. A lot was going on this past week, and I didn't want this story to fall through the cracks before another week started with all of its busyness. There have been significant changes to the definitions of words used by journalists, by online dictionaries, by politicals, and even by the White House. Words like recession, woman, man, pedophile, transgender. Sometimes subtle things have a much larger storyline behind them. We have two great reporters at Justin News that have been covering these trend lines today. First, the effort to suppress the word recession, to change its long-term meaning from, in America, two consecutive quarters of negative growth, meaning the economy GDP shrunk two consecutive quarters, which is what happened. But ahead of the the new reports this week, the Biden administration and their allies in the news media, the Associated Press, online dictionaries, Wikipedia, they try to change that word. Same thing with words like women, men, pedophile. Two reporters have been covering this inside and out for us, and I wanted to bring them on for a roundtable discussion. Aaron Kliegman and Natalia Middlestadt are here to talk about those definitional changes and what's going on, the politics behind them, and also the polling that shows that maybe these language changes are backfiring, actually not working, but doing the opposite of what their liberal purveyors want. We're going to have that conversation. And then we're going to go back to the economy, since recession is one of the words that they're trying to redefine to make the political case better for President Biden. We're going to go talk to a former Treasury Department official, Mike Falkender, he is on our TV show last night. He had a lot of profound things to say about the state of economy, what Americans are really feeling, what the future of the economy is. We're going to bring him on as well, Mike Falkender, right after this. Folks, let's get started. Happy Saturday. Sorry to intrude, but I thought this would be a good conversation. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. 
You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So excited to have a Saturday edition, and not only a Saturday edition, but to bring on two of the great talents that drive so much of our reporting at Just the News. This week, both of these reporters have done great work looking at the war on language, the effort by some, uh, mostly liberals, to manipulate definitions and language and uses of words to change, to fit a political agenda, as opposed to just recognizing definitions that everyone 100% of the country would agree with. And it's a dynamic that we're seeing accelerate over the last few years. And it has a great rich history, believe it or not, starting with the debate over immigration. We're going to get to all that. So joining me right now, Aaron Kliegman and Natalia Middlestadt, you know them well, guys. Their bylines are on Just the News every day with some of the most important stories that they break. Guys, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Let's start with you, Aaron. You had a story earlier in the week taking a look at the manipulation of terms ahead of the announcement Thursday that we were going to be in a recession. So everybody knew the new economic report most likely would show a second quarter of negative growth, of shrinking of the American economy. For every other president in modern history, two consecutive quarters of economic decline is defined as a recession. But heading into that, because Joe Biden doesn't want to call this a recession, all of a sudden, Wikipedia, the Associated Press, start changing the terms. Tell us what happened. Sure. So... As you mentioned, it's kind of been generally recognized by experts, by politicians, others that uh, two straight quarters, um, so that'd be six months total of negative economic growth, kind of shrinking GDP is by definition a recession. There's actually a a, a clip of Bill Clinton saying that exact thing of what a recession is um, uh, that's going online now from the year 2000. So this has kind of been the industry standard, so to speak. And 
we saw the uh, in the first quarter of this year there was uh, the economy contracted, shrink in GDP, and then we just found out on Thursday of this week um, that the second quarter of this year also had a contraction. So you would think, you know, we're in a recession by definition. But what uh, we've been seeing over the past week, especially, is. Uh, President Biden, uh, his uh, spokespeople, members of the White House, Council of Economic Advisors, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and others um, saying, no, that's actually not necessarily true, that uh, two straight quarters of negative GDP growth is a um, a recession. They've been kind of, I guess, obfuscating the issue, kind of saying there's um, a lot of a lot of factors that go into it. It's complex. There's uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is essentially a nonprofit group of economists have to declare it, and they do so um, after a kind of in hindsight, after getting a lot of data. So there's a lag. It could take like a year, which sort of they're essentially trying to make it so no one can declare that a recession is happening. So they're trying to redefine the term as kind of economists have understood it uh, right before our eyes. And I should note that uh, one person, Jared Bernstein, who's a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, said this, that uh, it's kind of difficult to determine what actually a recession is, but there's a clip of him from 2019 saying that when the economy, when President Trump was in the White House, that when uh, economic growth goes into the negatives, that uh, you're in a recession. So, uh, you know, a lot of people seem to be kind of reversing uh, previous positions on this. It's fascinating. And I thought you did such a good job with your story capturing the hypocrisy, the shifting uh, language, which is, if it's a Republican president, it's pretty clear that a uh, a recession has been in the past defined as two economic quarters. I remember when uh, Bill Clinton in 1992 uh, uh, gained an upper hand because the economy went into recession when uh, George H.W. Bush was president. And George H.W. Bush was trying to do this. Hey, guys, I think we're already coming out of it. And, and, and the Clinton people kept uh, President Bush pinned down, rightfully so, because I think that's been the standard language that news organizations use. I want to turn to one thing because the Associated Press, one of the bellwethers of the mainstream media, uh, they also changed their definition of um, a recession uh, uh, this week, just before the numbers came out. Might have been a little more credible if they did it a year ago or two years ago, but they did it right ahead of these reports. Uh, Not everybody looked fondly at that decision uh, Aaron, what did you what did you see in that? What, what what was some of the criticism of that on social media? Well, as you uh, know well in this business, uh, you tend not to believe in coincidences. <laughs> There's uh, kind of a, a good rule of thumb, and it's, I mean, listen, the Associated Press. Again, I can't, you know, speak to exactly what their motivations are, but it's hard to ignore the timing perfectly coinciding with this. It's. Um, it certainly feeds into the the narrative that uh, a lot of mainstream prominent outlets um, have the president's back, and so that's. But the viewers can decide for themselves. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a great thing. We're just going to provide the facts that other people make up their mind. Natalia, you have a great history tour in your story that's out this morning on Just the News, taking a look at the fact that this has happened once before. That a decade ago there was. A concerted effort over five, six years to change the official language of the news media and the American public when it came to the description of people who cross the border illegally. The law still calls them illegal aliens. 
in my generation of reporters, Illegal Alien was in our style book. It was allowed to be used. Tell us what began to happen a decade or so ago on the definition of people who cross our border illegally. Sure. So um, originally, as you mentioned, um, those who crossed the border illegally were called illegal aliens. Um, but then that definition slowly uh, was changed from illegal alien to undocumented immigrant. And then when the Dreamer um, law was making its way through Congress, so it never passed, um, they called uh, the people who were here illegally um, that would have been covered by that law Dreamers. And so now, um, instead of calling them illegal aliens, uh, people, especially Democrats um, and those on the left, call them Dreamers to, um, you know, make them not appear to be here illegally. You know, Dreamers has a very positive um, sounding name. It's like, okay, they're here because they want to, you know, follow the American dream or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and you also hear a lot of people uh, on the left claiming, well, nobody's illegal, so you can't call somebody, you know, illegal. It's like, well, what are they doing? Are they crossing the border illegally? That's, you know, what the adjective is supposed to mean. I was transitioning from being the lead Washington Post national investigative reporter to editor of the Washington Times when this took effect. And so the Washington Times, we had to make a decision about what we were going to do. And we continued to stick to the term illegal alien, illegal immigrant. In fact, I like the word illegal immigrant for two reasons. Immigrant gives their intent. They are trying to immigrate here, but they're doing so in an unlawful way. And so we always stuck to that. There was a lot of criticism. Then over time, people, I think, said, all right, we understand why you've taken that position. But dreamer is a marketing term, right? And it's so interesting because it puts a aspirational and marketing excitement around an act that actually is in violation of laws that have been on our books since the 1790s. It's fascinating. So in the last three years, the experiment that was involved in immigration has moved to questions involving men, women, sex, gender. Talk a little bit about the changes that have be- I think began in 2019 and have been continuing until this summer in definitions of men, women, children, pedophile, a lot of interesting new changes and new euphemisms out there. Give us some of the ones you dug up in your good story today. Sure. So yeah, back in 2019 and 2020, um, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary um, changed the de- or added definitions for male and female and boy and girl and even the word they um, to coincide with the new gender ideology on the left. So um, for male, the, one of the definitions is having a gender identity that is the opposite of female. Uh, a female, one of, their def- one of those definitions is having a gender identity that is the opposite of male. Um, for boy and girl, boy is defined as um, a child whose gender identity is male, whereas girl is a person whose gender identity is female. And even for the word they to cover um, transgender people or non-binary or whatever that um, use the pronoun they, um, one of the definitions is used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. So they're um, definitely <laughs> changing those definitions to um, kind of, uh, I guess, go with the LGBTQ plus um, community and um, their different um, ideology with regard to gender. I want to check this out and make sure because I I may be able to go back and tell my third grade English teacher, Sister Yolanta, that she might have been wrong. 
So you can use they as a plural pronoun to describe an individual non-binary person. Is that correct? Yes, according to the dictionary now, yes. How about that? I can go back and maybe get a better grade in my English exam. That's pretty good. <laughs> so that's interesting. And uh, I, there's another one because I, uh, this has been a one that's been a bit in debate a while, but uh, people who uh, have sexually targeted children, uh, the term groomer or pedophile seem to have been tossed out. And what's the new term now that Miriam and others would like us to use? Yeah, so on Twitter, um, just over the past week or so, they've banned the term groomer, um, which was becoming popular after um, Florida's parental rights and education bill was labeled as don't say gay by critics. And um, those who uh, stood with the bill and were like, this isn't about don't say gay. It's about not teaching you know, sexual topics in public schools to children in grades kindergarten through third grade. Um, those people were calling the bill critics groomers for wanting to discuss gender identity and sexual orientation with children. Um, and basically, you know, saying that these people are like pedophiles. However, um, apparently, even though Twitter says that you can't say groomers and has suspended people, um, on Twitter, such as, um, Tim Pool and others, um, for using the word groomer, apparently if pedophiles identify themselves as minor attracted people, that's okay to do. <laughs> so uh, I guess it just kind of depends on who's using the term. You know, if people are um, criticizing pedophiles and calling them groomers, you're not allowed to do that. But if you identify yourself as a pedophile and call yourself a minor attracted person, you're allowed to do that. Yeah, fascinating. It's just fascinating. And there's a moment, I believe I saw some headlines on this where Wikipedia changed the definition of recession, I think the night before the new economic numbers came out, and then locked it so no one else could object or take advantage of the normal crowdsourcing tools of Wikipedia to make a change on that. I want to ask both of you from the reporting you've done, everyday Americans, will they fall for this? Will they be able to discern what's going on here? Or will those who are changing the language ultimately end up winning the battle of what terms are used on these platforms, whether social media, dictionaries, others? Let me start with you, Aaron. What are you hearing in your reporting in terms of what everyday Americans see versus what the language that's now being imposed through various mediums? I think m most people have a sense of words. Words mean a specific thing. You sort of have, for, I mean, talking about men and women, I think kids from an early age kind of have a basic understanding of what that means almost inherently. And it's, um, I think people are afraid to kind of go against what's seen being pushed as the new cultural or attempting to be pushed as a new cultural norm. So I think um, I've seen in my kind of just own personal life, people kind of go uh, stand on pins and needles trying to navigate this ever-changing minefield and not step on one of these mines by using uh, what's deemed an incorrect term. And it's frankly confusing to keep up with because the definite definitions keep changing. But most people is in my, I mean, I think understand that it's, it just doesn't sit right and that words words matter and words have meaning but um a lot of the kind of forces kind of pushing these changes are um you know in charge of a lot of our prominent kind of cultural institutions and you know social institutions the universities you know academia in the in the media a lot of a lot of the mainstream outlets things like that and of course um from the white house kind of um 
pushing some of this as well. So it's um, I think there, there's kind of going to be a, a bit of a, a clash on this because, um, you know, you hear a lot of t- t- times about this so-called silent majority that that seems like, you know, talking to people who, who study these issues, that seems to be what's happening. People understand this is kind of weird it's just it's just kind of there it's not how it should be but um the question is kind of are people afraid that an employer is going to get angry at them if they use a wrong pronoun to talk to a coworker, if they use the term or if they say you know i, I talk about the terms domestic terrorist and insurrectionist those have kind of been broadened beyond what they're technically meant and you know that could get you in trouble so if you um say someone's not actually a domestic terrorist if they you know uh, when uh, kind of you know, the media might deem them as such. So um, it's uh, that's all to say, I think, we're it's going to be very interesting kind of culturally how this moves forward. This is going to be a very important issue to watch. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you. It is. It really is an important issue. I'm going to give you some poll data. I don't know if you guys have seen this poll, but it was done by Pew Research, which is a pretty respected polling outfit and one that is very closely aligned to the news media because of its history in supporting news media organizations. But the more the debate has increased over transgender rights and transgender pronouns, the more Americans have gravitated towards the idea that there are only two genders, male and female. These are actual statistics that Pew put out just a couple of weeks ago. In 2017, 54% of people said that a person's gender was determined at birth based on the physiology of being male or female. By 2021, that had risen two points to 56%. And in the June poll, it had leapt another four points. And now 60% say a person's gender is determined at birth by their male or female physiology. So it has gone 6% in the opposite direction of the sentiments that people trying to impose the pronouns or the new definitions from. Check that out. We had that on our site a little bit ago, about a month ago. But Pew Research, um, yeah, pretty down the middle research organization has seen a move towards more people seeing gender as determined by birth and physiology and not by identity as the language of identity has increased in America. Very interesting and maybe unexpected dynamic. Let me turn quickly to you, Natalia, whether it's the border or gender or recession or other words that are changing. What's your gut tell you from the reporting you've done about where everyday Americans will? Are they going to adopt willingly or might they resist and hold to the the long-held beliefs they've had? I think uh, that Americans will uh, hold down um, with, you know, double down on the truth and stick to the beliefs that they have. Because at this point, like Aaron was mentioning, um, you know, people are walking on eggshells trying to um, follow these ever-changing definitions. And I think, you know, initially, maybe some Americans were like, oh, well, you know, if like somebody wants to be called their own pronoun, like I'll be nice and do that. But the problem is when you keep changing definitions on people, they can't keep up with it. And I think Americans are um, getting really frustrated <laughs> because it's like, wait a minute, like I can't, <laughs> I can't curtail um, you know, the truth and definitions to what um, your view is all the time. And so um, I think it's really um, causing, and the harder that this is pushed on Americans, I think they're going to be pushing back because um, it just doesn't fit what's scientific. Um, there's even, you know, healthcare professionals who are mentioning, hey, like using these gender neutral terms um, is going to cause problems with providing medical care for, you know, women with, you know, who are pregnant or whatever. Um, so 
the further that um, the left is pushing on this gender ideology and the further away from the truth that they take it, I think the more that Americans are going to um, try to return to the truth and be like, no, we, we can't keep doing this. Yeah, it's just truly fascinating. One of the great emblematic debates that has overshadowed the transgender rights debate is should biological males who identify as female be allowed to compete against uh, biological females? Only three in 10 Americans, only 30% of Americans believe that should be. That means 70% oppose it. That's a very interesting dynamic as well, because that's become the Leah Thomas, we call it the Leah Thomas debate, named after the UPenn uh, swimmer uh, who competed as a biological male, but uh, identifying as a female in the in the NCA tournaments this year. Uh, but the polling hasn't changed, even though the language is being uh, in many ways, uh, uh, shoehorned into the debate. So interesting to see and keep measuring American sentiments. But right now, the changes in language hasn't changed uh, what is pretty predominantly uh, the political views of uh, everyday Americans. And by the way, in that three in 10, uh, Democrats were also a majority in opposing uh, trans, uh, trans uh, transgender athletes uh, uh, competing in sports. So uh, it holds for both parties even, which is very interesting. Guys, you do such great work. I'm always proud of everything you all do. Uh, what's the best way to follow you guys on Twitter? Aaron, real quickly, what's your social handles and coordinates? Sure, it's um, Aaron with two A's, underscore, underscore Kliegman, K-L-I-E-G-M-A-N. And um, so that's the handle. And then obviously just go into the Just the News website and just uh, every day and just checking on uh, the new stuff that's up there. You do such great work. I love it. Uh, Natalia, you always have good stories as well. How do we follow you on social and what's the best way to follow you at, at Just the News? Sure. So um, on Twitter, the handle is Natalia B. Mittel, M-I-T-T-E-L, uh, also on Truth Social, Natalia Mittel. And, uh, of course, just like Aaron on Just the News, you can just look on um, the daily stories we have and I'll have something up. Yeah, that's really cool. And you can always click on a byline when you're on Just the News and you can get all the other stories that that reporter wrote. So if you've become, if you've become fans of Aaron and Natalia, as you should after hearing them today, uh, you can click on their byline in any story and a link to all the stories they've written over the last uh, two years are available to you on, on one click. So, guys, love what you do. I don't know where this debate on language is going to end, but I'm pretty sure I know one thing. I'm pretty darn happy you guys work here at Just the News. We're very lucky to have you and all the great work you do. And have a good rest of your weekend. Thank you. Too. You too, John. Thanks. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up right after this. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean, L-E-A-N.com. 
Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us now is an economic professional who previously served as the U.S. Department of Treasury's Assistant Secretary of Economic Policy. Mike Falkender, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be with you both. We're happy to have you, and uh, it's a great day to have you on because earlier today, President Biden uh, gave a speech and made a very profound statement, very peculiar, actually. Take a look. Both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. That doesn't seem to line up with reality because last week, Goldman Sachs CEO warned of a recession. And according to new data, 61% of voters already believe that our country is in a recession. You're an expert. What say you? That's right. I mean, traditionally, we would consider two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth to be a recession. And the Commerce Department came out this morning and gave us that report at the second consecutive quarter. We lost 1.6% on an annualized basis last quarter. Uh, in the first quarter of 2022, and we lost another 0.9% annualized this most recent quarter. And so historically, that's how we would define a recession. But it seems like the president has yet again surrounded himself with the same economists who said that things like inflation were transitory. So it's not a surprise that we're redefining terms when it comes to making excuses for the poor performance of this administration. Yeah, no doubt we've seen it all throughout uh, the first 18 months of this presidency. Mike, I want to ask you this. Uh, we saw the Fed go up uh, seven, uh, 75 points yesterday in inflation. The numbers are still going up, so interest rates are going to keep climbing as the economy is decelerating. Are we officially now in a moment of stagflation like we saw with Jimmy Carter? We are. I mean, we have high inflation, the highest that we've seen in 40 years, 9.1 percent uh, year over year was reported last month. And we're now in two quarters in a row of, of negative growth. So stagflation is generally thought of as low to negative growth with high in increases in prices. You know, it's stagnant inflation. And that's exactly what we've got. And unfortunately, with the announcement yesterday that Build Back Better is coming back, We've got another big socialism bill about to be signed by uh, passed by Congress. It seems like the administration and Congress are looking to just triple down on failure and enact yet more government spending, put in place more regulation, try to increase taxes and follow the same playbook that has gotten us into this stagflationary environment. Yeah. And, you know, the White House didn't want to take responsibility for the spike in gas prices, but now they are celebrating and taking the praise for the fact that gas prices took a teeny tiny dip. But with respect to gas prices, we're all obviously paying more at the grocery store and, and everything is getting more expensive. Commensurate with inflation, this little dip in gas prices, is this just the calm before the storm? What the White House doesn't want to admit is that when you enter a recession, gas prices generally come down. 
right? The whole objective of the Federal Reserve is to try to curb demand. It's that there's way too much money out in the economy. The American Rescue Plan that was enacted by Congress upon the beginning of this administration put way too much money into the economy. And so the Fed is trying to come in and curb demand. And what happens when that occurs is that you're going to get reductions in usage of things like gasoline, and that's going to put downward pressure on prices. So yes, the recession caused by Joe Biden's policies are contributing to a decline in gas prices. But just as he can take some minor credit for his recession causing this decline in gas prices, he also needs to take responsibility that for the fact that gas prices more than doubled before they started declining. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, the, the rules are so interesting when it comes to attribution for blame and success. Um, you're a big free market economist. The Trump administration showed a free economy can create a roaring economy in America with low inflation, but a large growth. There's an interesting trend starting to uh, appear in the Democrats' policy solutions. Price controls. There's one suggestion of price controls and BBB related to prescriptions. Another one being floated in Congress on energy prices. Uh, as an economist, as someone that knows how things really work, what do price controls do to the American economy? What price controls do is they create shortages. You create lines at the gas station. You create lines at the at the pharmacy. Whenever there is excess demand and insufficient supply, the question becomes, how do we ration? And so you can ration through having higher prices where you incentivize people to find substitutes or to cut back on some of their activity, or you can have lines and shortages, in which case even people that desperately need it can't find it at any price. Generally, as an economist, we would say we'd rather see the price increase and then encourage more people to come in and provide additional product to clear those shortages, as opposed to things like price controls and excise taxes that actually take supply out of the marketplace. When you tell companies that if they step in and curb the shortages, you're going to take away all their profits because you deemed it excess profit and you're going to tax it at high rates, you get less provision, not more of it. So if the objective is to exacerbate the shortages, that's exactly what we'll see happen with the introduction of, of price controls. Mike, very quickly before we go, we've got this uh, nebulous definition of recession seems to be more a transition, according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, very quickly, is there anyone within this administration who you think is willing to come out and say, yeah, we're in a bad place, but we're going to fix it? Unfortunately, I can't have any, I don't have any names that are coming to mind as, you know, it's, it's, I just would caution the Treasury Secretary to use anything that's near the word transitory. I think it was good advice of Chairman Powell to retire that word. And so using transition instead of transitory just reminds us of how bad their predictions were the last time. Good point. Mike Falkender, we appreciate you joining us. And unfortunately, I think we will have a lot of reasons to have you on in the very near future. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So glad you can join me. Always excited when we can have a conversation about what's going on in the world. And a big thank you to my two colleagues at Justin News here in Washington, at our Washington Bureau here. Natalia Middlestat, Aaron Kliegman, two great reporters. Big thanks also to Mike Falkender for his insights on the economy, what the levers are that are left to pull, the ones that aren't working. A good all-around conversation. Uh, Glad he joined us on the TV show and that we could adapt that for this podcast on Saturday. We'll have another big show tomorrow. Some great guests, including Jim Jordan, Congressman James Romer, the guy that is in the lead on the Hunter Biden investigation. So many more. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow. We'll have another podcast Sunday while you're getting ready for breakfast or lunch, brunch, reading the newspaper. We'll have a great podcast queued up here for Sunday before we end the week. All right, folks. God bless. Good night. We'll be talking soon. Thank you. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.